Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, the podcast that makes you the authority in orthodontics in your community. Get ready for insights on how to compete on expertise and trust against mail order in retail orthodontics. It's not always about the lowest fees. And now, from the People in Practice team, your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Leon Klempner, a retired orthodontist and CEO of People in Practice. And I'm here with my co-host, daughter, head of client services and marketing guru, Amy Epstein. Hey, Amy, how you doing today? Or as they say here in New York, how you doing? I like how you said, as they say in New York, <laughs> how you doing? I don't know. Do I have a New York accent? I you never do when I... you said earlier that something was going to gnaw through something else, and you said it was going to gnaw through something else, and I had no idea what right. you were saying all right. at all. How about dog? Does that sound like New York? That sounds like Long Island to me. All right. Well, very good. Anyway, guess what? What? It's been over a year and a half since we recorded our very first podcast. Mm. Believe it or not, we have had over 10,000 downloads. And if you're new to the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you could hear future podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Seems like uh, yesterday we got all this fancy equipment and then didn't know what we were going to do with it and didn't know what we were going to say or if anybody would like what we said. But uh, seems like some people are interested, which is very cool. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, we've had some really great guests. And uh, today, I thought it would be useful for us to share some of the highlights, particularly for some of our new listeners. And if there's something that you hear that you find interesting, you can always go back to um, our website, pplpractice.com or the survivalguidefororthodontist.com and then listen to the entire podcast. So today, we're going to feature a few highlights from our previous podcast conversations with Jonathan Nicosesis of the Align Institute Fellowship, uh, Landy Chase, founder of Ortho Yes, Mark Van Wiel from Dental Monitoring, Chris Benson of Benson Koppel & Associates, and Greg Pellegram, CEO of SmileSnap. There were so many great guests and topics um, that we had on our, our previous podcast. It was hard to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and let us know if this format today um, is interesting to you and we can think about doing some more like this in the future. One of the more popular and somewhat controversial themes that we discussed in many of our episodes revolves around the topic of tier pricing and quote unquote, taking back the sort of easy cases or you know advertising that you can treat a spectrum of cases in terms of how complicated they are from more limited to more complex um, at a differential price point, depending on the complexity. And you know, if you're a regular listener, you already know how we feel about this. With over $300 million in ad spend by direct-to-consumer companies and Align Technologies, there's a tremendous appetite for a more limited option with a shorter treatment time and a lower price point. Unfortunately, we as orthodontists have been locked out of this market. And even though many of us have offered this option on occasion in our practices, the public has been basically brainwashed to believe that if you go to an orthodontist, your treatment is going to take at least two years and cost six grand. 
As a result, prospective new patients interested in improving their smile choose a GP or a general dentist um, or go to a direct-to-consumer option before they even consider us. So it's a bit of a branding challenge, actually. Um, and it's sort of reshaping the way people think about orthodontic practices as not just the place to go if you have a lot of money in a really complex case, um, but as an option uh, for a practice that will work with you depending on, um, you know, even if you have something that may seem sort of simple to you, um, they'll, they'll partner with you on it and um, be able to supervise your treatment uh, and give you exactly what you need and, you know, uh, in an extremely professional way, of course. Um, so we've been encouraging our clients to sort of to proactively go after cases that um, they may not have typically treated in the past. And under the right circumstances, the data show that orthodontic practices can be as or even more profitable with the four to twelve month cases as compared with the more complex twenty four month, you know, comprehensive cases. So in episode three, we asked Jonathan Nikazesis of the Aligner Fellowship Institute his thoughts. If somebody comes in and wants limited treatment, my job as a healthcare provider is to examine them, go over my results, discuss their options from the, the comprehensive Cadillac treatment plan to uh, alternatives uh, that would address their desires and chief concerns without doing any detriment or harm. And at that point, I read them their their rights and what they get and don't get with um, you know a lesser treatment option uh, and, and go from there. But you know I, I think this awareness that you speak of that is real, that is legit, and it's these winds are blowing, and it's up to us as an orthodontic specialty to figure out how to best catch this wind that is blowing and trim the sails accordingly. Um, and to that end, you know I think we've learned a lot from this new marketplace. Um, there's been some discussion about the cheapness um, of it that's attractive. But I will tell you this. I, I had a dentist's brother do Big Purple. And a dentist's brother. And he did Big Purple, had a real effed up result, came to see me. This guy's in his 50s. And I asked him, I said, tell me why you did this. Is it the money? He's like, yeah, it's cheaper. And he's like, but what's the other reason? And he told me the real reason I did this was convenience. And so Leon, Leon and I have discussed, you know, um, embracing technology to give these people what they want. And a big attractive aspect of this direct-to-consumer uh, that we have to be aware of as they uh, raise this awareness is that people want convenience. And putting brackets on, and I'm not putting braces, but putting braces on and expecting, you know, um, uh, 25 office visits over, you know, uh, 27 months is not convenient. And so we as a specialty must figure out how to best embrace technology, CAD cam odontics, whether it's brackets and customized wires, whether it's customized plastic, and embrace that to give these people what they want, what they desire, uh, as uh, this awareness is uh, continuing to be raised. So for most of my career, and I retired in 2015, I would present the treatment plan and the new patient basically either took it or didn't. Um, remember, there was no direct-to-consumer option. Uh, GPs were not doing ortho and doctor referrals were plentiful. It was very doctor-centric 
and sort of my way or the highway approach. I'm on the phone every day now with orthos. I know it's not easy to make the shift to accepting a more limited treatment plan, but if that's what the patient wants, uh, who better than us as orthodontists to be able to do it safely? We asked Jonathan his thoughts. I totally agree with you, Leon. Like it, mm-hmm. and it was tough for me. It's tough. It was tough for me to sort of accept that to be comfortable uh, with that notion. And you know, please understand, I'm not here advocating that straighter is better crap. You know, that was mm-hmm. you know floated around. I'm here advocating um, options, safe options, and options that are under the direct um, uh, supervision. Uh, and guidance um, and treatment of a doctor in a real office, and uh, uh, you know that, that that's that, that's it. And, if, and to your point, if we don't um, get comfortable with that, if we don't—I hate to use the word embrace—but uh, if we don't um, put that in our repertoire, uh, we are, uh, I think, going to miss a lot of opportunity. You're really just not trimming the sails properly uh, to catch the wind that's blowing. You can hear from what Jonathan's saying um, about technology and convenience, and and that theme shows up a lot in the interviews that we'd done on our podcast. Um, So, you know, rather than be fearful, uh, embrace it and take it on board and at least educate yourself about the technology that's available to provide a more convenient Uh, orthodontic journey for patients. So we had an opportunity to go into greater depth with Mark Van Weald, who's Vice President of Global Sales and Marketing for Dental Monitoring. And rather than describing DM in in Episode 7, Mark discusses how the use of AI can not only reduce refinements, but also enhance the relationship with direct patient communication. Um, As one of our orthodontists uh, has said, DM enables him to um, use technology to, to see the fit of the aligner or what's happening in the mouth, whether it's oral hygiene or, or to do with fixed appliances, and see it at a much more of a pixel level, so to speak. Uh, so I, I think it, it's incumbent upon us all to take advantage of technologies to make these things happen. And I, it, we're, we're seeing it from, from some of the top uh, aligner users that those that are experienced with dental monitoring are seeing a significant reduction in the number of aligners used to finish a treatment and the number of refinements that are required. Uh, In episode seven, we really did talk at great length about the influence and growth of direct-to-consumer companies like Smile Direct Club um, and the newly created appetite for a beautiful smile. Um, And... We spent some time talking about how we as orthodontists can capture a portion of that newly created market. Let's listen in. I'm reminded that innovation always happens when outsiders come into an industry sector with a totally different way of doing things. Uh, The founders of Align Technology didn't come from orthodontics. Um, I couldn't think that there would be any way that people could come from either the profession or from a a fixed appliance company and come up with the idea of using removable sequential plastic aligners to move teeth predictably. I just don't think we would have ever got off the ground. And and then if you think of these DTC companies such as SmileDirect, they don't come from orthodontics either. Um, 
they have just tapped into it a, a marketplace that that you talked about, um, both of you, which is there is an enormous market that none of us foresaw, which is people who want to pay a lower fee to get a limited result that that addresses their expectations. So, Smile Direct is showing us how big that market is. They're now the second largest aligner company on the planet within four years, and they're growing at a much faster rate than Align Technology. So I think it's incumbent upon your listeners to think about how they respond to to this marketplace. I mean, Smile Direct and, uh, and Align Technologies are spending so much on consumer marketing, they're creating an enormous awareness of, of the benefits of having straighter teeth and a nicer smile. So the way I look at it, Amy and Leon, is if people like Smile Direct can get people into a line of treatment for around $1,900 without seeing a doctor, then a lot of those candidates, I'm sure, would consider an option of having limited treatment using aligners delivered by a specialist orthodontist for, say, a price point of $2,900 to $3,900. And the challenge really... I think, and this is where your company comes into play, is that it's up to the orthodontist to let the public know that they offer this alternative, all right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think there's a big marketplace there that's that, that's waiting. Uh, I, I think DM really helps make this possible because what it does, uh, as Leon's aware, is it enables an orthodontist to provide limited treatment using aligners at what I think we would, would all believe is a superior result to anything delivered through direct consumer without a physical doctor present, but doing that for a reasonable premium. There are many DM users now who've been using the system for a couple of years who are doing aligner treatments for between eight and 12 months with only three to four appointments and using DM for all the remote monitoring. So if you think of it and you use a non-branded line of system and you leverage off your reputation as a specialist orthodontist, then I think you can offer that for that sort of fee and make a very good profit. And just as importantly, I think DM's an ideal way for an orthodontist to build a closer relationship with the patients because even though you're only seeing them three to four times in the clinic, you're actually communicating with them on a weekly basis. So I think it's incumbent to let for the orthodontist to always make the patients be aware of exactly what they're getting in terms of a high level of care from a specialist orthodontist. Some of the discussions we have around dental monitoring involve whether dental monitoring makes a practice look a bit too much like a direct-to-consumer company. And perhaps we, you know, as Mark referenced, we lose our, our personal touch there. Um, and his perspective is that, you know, in, in fact, there are opportunities to uh, strengthen the relationship using dental monitoring. And here's what he has to say. I think that's a legitimate question. And, and I think it's one that um, we should feel free to talk about because I think it doesn't just uh, relate to dental monitoring. It doesn't just relate to dentistry. It relates to how AI and machine learning is changing most medical and dental professions. Um, if, if you think about everything we do today in 2019 in our personal and professional lives, it's so different to the way we were doing it five years ago, 10 years ago, and 20 years ago. 
Um, there's a guy I follow on LinkedIn who, 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 who I think is a bit of a thought leader in this area. Um, he, he's a doctor with a PhD as well as being a medical doctor, uh, Dr. Bertalan Mesco, uh, who heads up the Medical Futurist Institute. And he's got a saying that says, AI won't replace doctors, but doctors who use AI may replace those that don't. And I think that really is the discussion point that we need to focus in on is how is the technology adopted and how is it used to enhance the quality of care rather than ignoring it because in some way you think that it might replace part of the role. I think all parts of our roles in all of our lives have changed. I mean, I can think of myself and what I learned at university and how much of that I do today. It's it's very, very different world. An analogy I often think is a, is a useful one. Think of when you catch a flight, any any plane, you know, Delta, United, whoever you happen to fly with. I think we all know that the autopilot is probably flying the plane at least 80% or possibly more on any given flight. But we still want the reassurance that it's a trained and experienced pilot that's overseeing all the systems and that, that pilot is ready to step in and override if there's ever an issue. And that's why I think we always have the comforting announcement on the plane from the pilot where they give their name, they make it personal, they reintroduce that human touch, and they give us all the up-to-date information on their flight. I think we as humans, we don't want to deal with machines. And I think, you know, that the delivery of care and the human touch will never go away. So if you relate that to DM, you know, I mean, we do use AI technology because we think we can make the delivery of orthodontics and also dentistry more efficient for the benefit of the public and also for the benefit of the doctors, okay? So we do that, but it is the orthodontist who determines how they want to deal with the information that DM's providing them in any given situation. Another popular topic revolved around customer service and how we can start more cases. Uh, after all, we are the Survival Guide for Orthodontist podcast, so this is a big focus of what we discussed with many of our guests. In my career, I've done thousands of consults, and somehow, no matter how I scheduled my day, I always fell behind. I was torn between wanting to spend enough time to answer all the questions that a new patient might have, yet I wanted to get back into the clinic to honor the appointments of those that came on time. Anybody else out there feel that way? Um, who better to pose this question to than Landy Chase, president and owner of Ortho Yes. Let's listen to some of episode nine. I time doctors when I watch their consults and I had one recently, 28 minutes, and this is just in the new patient consult, 28 minutes, 33 minutes, 31 minutes, 37 minutes, has no idea how long he's in there. Very common. So it's a, uh, a significant problem, and there's two reasons for it. The first one is lack of structure. When the doctor comes into these meetings, they need to have a plan, an agenda of what they're going to be doing. I think they should communicate that to the family after they establish a little rapport with the family, explain what they're going to be doing. Here's what I'll be doing today. And we, we go through the steps. I teach five. And then they get agreement for that. How does that sound to everyone? When the family agrees, which they always do, it gives the doctor complete control 
over how they're going to spend their time. And so uh, if we don't have the structure, if we don't have a plan, a step-by-step, doctors have a tendency to get on tangents, to get pulled away easily uh, from what they intended to do. And that's where you see the first problem. The second one, which is almost universal, frankly, is in the Q&A at the end of the meeting. The doctor will ask the family, what questions do you have? Invariably, uh, the parent will ask questions that have nothing to do with the treatment plan. Uh, What foods should junior avoid during treatment? How do we clean the appliances? Things like that that should be handled uh, by the TC. A lot of doctors, uh, and again, I understand they're trying to be helpful, but a lot of doctors fall into the trap of answering questions that aren't relevant to the treatment plan. And of course, typically one question spawns three or four more questions. And when we answer those questions, we get three or four more after that. And so before you know it, you're 20 minutes behind in the clinic. Uh, What I suggest doctors do, a very simple and very effective process to stop that, is at the end of the meeting, when we ask the question, do you have any questions, we listen for the litmus test. Is the question I'm being asked as a doctor related to the treatment plan or not? If it's not, which it usually isn't, the doctor should politely say, that's a great question. My talented TC will address how, uh, what foods to avoid momentarily. And then they always finish with this question back to the family. Do you have any questions for me regarding the treatment plan? In the business world, this is known as the porcupine technique. The idea is that the person asking questions controls the conversation. So if we answer their question and then ask a question of our own, we take control of the conversation back. And as you all know, when you ask the family, do you have any other questions for me regarding the treatment plan? The answer is almost always no. And that's the doctor's cue card to exit stage, stage left. Mm. Um, so to summarize, uh, on time management structure and knowing how to get the Q&A process delegated when appropriate are the keys to getting in and out. And most doctors, in my experience, can have a very good quality interaction with a family for a a routine case in 10 to 12 minutes. How we can start more cases is what Landy's talking about here. But, you know, in order to, to start more cases, you also have to have people coming in the door for consults. And, you know, to be honest, the orthodontic profession is going through so many changes uh, really quickly. Aligners are popular, GPs are doing more and more ortho, and pediatric dentists are hiring orthodontists. So referrals are not what they used to be. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, remembering back when I was in practice, I mean, the major changes in, in the profession revolved around treatment procedures like memory wires and ceramic brackets and different types of adhesive. Now we have DSOs, DTCs, remote monitoring, and who knows what's next. On that note, in episode five, we asked Chris Benson, one of the most data-driven guys in the field, what he thought about the future of the orthodontic specialty. Let's hear what he has to say. That's really the question of the day, isn't it, Leon and Amy? I mean, that's that's what we're all trying to figure out. And fortunately, I share your view. Um, unfortunately, I think um, orthodontists as a group have been slow on the uptake, but we now have, what, five, six years of kind of direct-to-consumer. We've got 21 years of Invisalign. We, we have a lot more data at our disposal today than we've had yesterday or the the day before. And so the data is pretty clear to me that uh, if you 
are willing to do things differently and make changes. And that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice quality or ethics or anything like that, that I'm in total agreement that the future of the orthodontic specialty is extremely bright for those who adapt to the current environment. And the current environment is much different today than it was 30 years ago when I started in orthodontics. And so the technology that we need to deploy is different. The consumer certainly is always evolving and is different. The treatment modality ideas, the way that we charge out our fees, the way that we talk to the consumer within our small drawing areas, the solo and small group practices is is uh, a necessary skill to learn and that's different. And, uh, but all these things taken together, you can grow at an accelerated pace. You can be enormously successful. If I had a child that wanted to be an orthodontist, I would strongly encourage that child to, to pursue it. It's not uh, a wet blanket feel, it's a warm blanket feel. And I think the, the future is quite bright and I share your view. The whole issue of direct-to-consumer and how we respond is a common theme in many of our podcasts. The silver lining is that they have attracted a whole new market of digital natives interested in getting a more attractive smile. You know, like we said earlier, a lot of orthodontists believe that consumers are attracted to those direct-to-consumer options mostly because of their low fees. And as you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, the data shows that convenience is a big part of this decision. So we asked Chris his thoughts on this topic as well. You know, you talk to orthodontists and, and they have the notion as a group that every patient that signs up for Smile Direct Club has a low dental IQ, has, uh, you know, doesn't even have a dentist, is not a patient that they wanted to treat, can't afford it in their office anyways. But when you really lift the hood up, there's a significant percentage of these patients that are school teachers, that are engineers, that just don't want to mm-hmm. take work off, that did have right. treatment when they were younger, just like you suggested. Right. They just want a better result and who better than an orthodontist to provide it, but the orthodontist doesn't give them that option um, in many markets today. So as everybody listening knows, we have less and less GP referrals, basically no pedo referrals. We have downward pressure on our fees, the growth of DSOs across the entire country. We asked Chris if he thought these trends will continue and what actually can we do if a corporate orthodontic office opens up in our area? Well, it's not if they open up, it's when do they open up. Uh, There's no stopping this train. I don't like it um, because I spent 30 years with solo and small group practitioners, but um, I tried to stiff arm these guys. You know, I think a lot of orthodontists were like me, you know, that are my age. I'm 57. I just said, you know, corporate is bad. They can't do it as well. They can't, they can't provide the touch, the uh, the execution, the excellence that a solo or small group practitioner could be. And in some cases, that's true, but it's, it's not true across the board. So corporate dentistry, we call them by different names, is, is, you know, let's start this conversation with where is it right now? And if you look at all of dentistry, you know, there's some recent data that's published by the ADA Health Policy Institute that just came out uh, this year. This says in 2017, about um, you know, 9% of dentists, and that's general dentists and all specialists, are hitched in some way in an employment uh, way to corporate dentistry. And that, um, you know, that's going to continue to grow. When you look at the specialty, um, you know, we, we've got 
you know, eight or 9% of our dentists that are associated with some kind of corporate model. The interesting thing, Amy and Leon, is that, um, you know, you look at who who's doing this. Everybody thought it would be the 65-year-old orthodontist that wanted to retire, but uh, there's a lot of 40-somethings and mid-40-somethings and early 50-somethings that are doing this. But when you really break it down, the orthodontists that are under 35 and the dentists that are under 35 are 2x represented as employees in these folks. So they're attracting young doctors. And when we look at resident data, uh, what we see is, you know, five years ago, where it would have been 80% of the residents said, when I get out, I want to own and be a solo or small group practitioner. Now, 80% say I'm expecting for at least the next five years to be an employee doctor. We talked a lot in that episode also about what can be done um, if a corporate uh, office opens up in, in your area. And it's prob- the answer is probably, you know, regardless of whether one is coming along or not, looking to make sure that your um, flexibility is maximized. So whether we're talking about the flexibility of taking on patients who have less complicated cases at a lower price point, flexibility of hours, Um, You don't have to match their pricing, but flexibility in terms of financial arrangements is going to be key. So, you know, considering what your positioning is in the marketplace uh, ahead of them coming in will be to your advantage. So changing gears, we'd be remiss if we didn't highlight one of the most significant tools born out of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is the virtual consultation. We know from our client feedback that virtual consultations and appointments have literally saved orthodontic practices during the pandemic when offices were directed to close down. We asked Greg Pellegrom, who's the CEO of SmileSnap, in episode 16, whether he thought virtual consults would replace in-office physical consults. And here's what he had to say. Am I saying that you should stop doing in-office consults? No, absolutely not. But you should absolutely have virtual consultations as an option, because whether it's somebody who is still weary of coming into a practice because of COVID-19, if it's somebody who is scared of the orthodontist in the first place, maybe they live far away, maybe um, they are super pressed for time they love technology, whatever the reason may be, this is the way that more and more people are expecting to engage and communicate, at least initially, uh, going forward. Well, we've come to the end of our anniversary podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast as much as we have enjoyed doing them. We'll continue to bring you the most informative guests discussing topics that are most important to you. If you find our podcast useful, share it with one of your ortho colleagues. Uh, You could find our podcasts almost everywhere on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, or go to our website, pplpractice.com backslash podcasts. On our next episode, we're going to bring back Joe Hogan of Align Technology and uh, ask him what's going on and where does the future hold for us with Align? And until next time, remember, for those that adapt, the golden age of orthodontics is ahead. Thank you for joining us on the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, where we help your practice grow within a massively disrupted industry. Subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on social media. 
Find us online at thesurvivalguidefororthodontists.com.